Ashley's UN Insights, a weekly look at the work of the United Nations. Welcome to Ashling's UN Insights. Having recently returned from an internship at the United Nations headquarters in New York, and with my family growing weary of my constant yammering on about it, I've decided to pass on what I learned to you lovely listeners. The UN is heralding the 2020s as their decade of action. So what exactly is it that they're working on? This week we're looking at Sustainable Development Goal number 12, entitled Responsible Consumption and Production. This Sustainable Development Goal aims to ensure sustainable consumption and production patterns. This includes goals to implement a 10-year framework on sustainable consumption and production and achieve sustainable management and efficient use of natural resources, as well as promote public procurement practices that are sustainable. SDG 12 also aims to halve per capita global food waste at the retail and consumer levels and reduce food loss along the supply chain, as well as substantially reduce waste through prevention, reduction, recycling and reuse. They also aim to achieve environmentally sound management of chemicals and waste and reduce their release into air, water and soil, and to encourage companies to adopt sustainable practices and integrate sustainability information into their reporting cycle. Ultimately, this goal wants to ensure that people everywhere have the relevant information and awareness for sustainable development and lifestyles in harmony with nature. The UN hoped to achieve this through a variety of methods, such as supporting low-income countries to strengthen their scientific and technological capabilities and developing and implementing tools to monitor the impacts of sustainable tourism. They also want to rationalise inefficient fossil fuel subsidies that encourage wasteful consumption by removing market distortion whilst minimising the possible adverse effects of this on low-income countries. So, how close are we to achieving these goals? The world continues to use natural resources unsustainably, with the global material footprint increasing from 73.2 billion tonnes in 2010 to 85.9 billion tonnes in 2017. Additionally, since 2010, electronic waste grew by 38%, but still less than 20% of it is being recycled, and 13.8% of food is still lost in supply chains. Fossil fuel subsidies also rose from $318 billion in 2015 to $427 billion in 2018, which is contributing to their continued use and, by extension, the climate crisis. This is an especially big issue since this is more than double the estimated subsidies for renewable energy. In 2019, 79 countries and the European Union reported at least one policy to promote sustainable consumption and production, which shows progress towards implementing the 10-year framework of programmes on sustainable consumption and production patterns. In fact, the EU reported a total of 303 policy instruments related to this issue. This is a great step in the right direction, since urgent action is needed to ensure that current material needs do not lead to the over-extraction of resources or the further degradation of the environment. The scope of the United Nations is huge, since there are many departments tackling different global issues, so each week I'm shining the spotlight on one department and looking at the work that they do. This week I want to look at the United Nations Office on Genocide Prevention and the Responsibility to Protect, within the Department of Political and Peacebuilding Affairs. 
This office supports two special advisers who report directly to the United Nations Secretary General. The first is a special advisor on the prevention of genocide who acts as a catalyst to raise awareness of the causes and dynamics of genocide, to alert relevant actors where there is a risk of genocide, and to advocate and mobilise for appropriate action. And the second is the Special Advisor on the Responsibility to Protect, who leads the conceptual, political, institutional and operational development of the Responsibility to Protect. But they work together to advance national and international efforts to protect populations from genocide, war crimes, ethnic cleansing and crimes against humanity, as well as their incitement. The first special advisor on the prevention of genocide was appointed in 2004 after the UN's failure to protect the populations of Rwanda and the Balkans in the 1990s, and the first special advisor on the responsibility to protect was appointed by the Secretary-General in 2008. The responsibility to protect is a political commitment to ensuring that the international community never again fails to halt the mass atrocity crimes of genocide, war crimes, ethnic cleansing and crimes against humanity. The two main priorities of this office are to strengthen the capacity of the United Nations to identify situations at risk of genocide, war crimes, ethnic cleansing and crimes against humanity, to take early action to prevent them, and to improve protection of populations, as well as the implementation of the responsibility to protect principles by member states, regional organisations and civil society. In practice, this means that the office collects information, conducts assessments of situations worldwide and alerts the Secretary-General and relevant actors to the risk of atrocity crimes as well as their incitement and undertakes training and technical assistance to promote greater understanding of the causes and dynamics of atrocity crimes and of the measures that could be taken to prevent them. It also raises awareness among states and other actors about their responsibility to protect and strives to enhance the capacity of the United Nations, member states, regional and sub-regional organisations and civil society to prevent atrocity crimes and to develop more effective means of response when they occur. There was only one International Day this week. These days aim to raise awareness of a particular global issue, and if any of these topics really pique your interest, then I encourage you to look into them further, as that is exactly the aim of declaring International Days in this way. Today, Sunday the 9th of August, is the International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples, This day is recognised in order to raise awareness of the needs of the estimated 476 million Indigenous peoples around the world, living across 90 countries. The traditional knowledge, voices and wisdom of Indigenous peoples is incredibly valuable, but throughout history the rights of Indigenous peoples have been violated and they continue to seek recognition of their identities, their ways of life and their rights to traditional lands, territories and natural resources. The theme this year is COVID-19 and Indigenous peoples' resilience. They are taking action to prevent the spread of the virus, which is vital since many Indigenous communities have poor access to healthcare or face stigma and discrimination when they do access healthcare services. So, what has been discussed at the UN this week? As before, if any of the things I mention particularly catch your attention, then you can hop on the UN Web TV website and watch the meetings in full. On Monday, there was a meeting about the state of the Yazidi community 
six years after ISIL started its genocidal campaign against the Yazidi minority. The issues discussed included the provision of basic services and restoration of infrastructure in Sinjar, missing Yazidi women and children, justice and accountability for crimes committed by ISIL perpetrators, improving local governance and security in Sinjar, working with the federal government in Baghdad and the regional government in Erbil to ensure safe, dignified and voluntary return of those still displaced, and the protection of Yazidis in Syria. Speeches were given by Nadia Murad, a Yazidi survivor, Nobel Peace Laureate, and UNODC Goodwill Ambassador, and Amal Clooney, an international human rights lawyer. The Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, the body of independent experts that monitors the implementation of the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination by its state parties, had meetings on Wednesday and Friday. They discussed how COVID-19 has exacerbated inequalities and the necessary responses to this, as well as the upcoming report on systematic racism, violations of international human rights law against Africans and people of African descent by law enforcement agencies, as well as the use of excessive force against protesters, bystanders and journalists protesting peacefully against racism. On Thursday, there was a Security Council meeting about the threats to international peace and security caused by terrorist acts. They discussed how linkages between terrorism and organised crime are a growing threat facing the international community, and that whilst the degree of the threat varies by region, the transnational nature and complex interlinkages between terrorism and organised crime are why international cooperation and coordinated responses at multiple levels are so important. That's all from me for now, but join me next week for more UN insights and news. See you then! Ashley's UN Insights, a weekly look at the work of the United Nations. Brooklyn,